welcome back to the MGO Fish Show. My name is David Arnold. Uh, I'm here tonight temporarily for a brief minute. Uh, you're going to hear our boys, Harry Hillman and Stephen Ossentoski, uh, give their hottest hot takes on the hottest downgrade in payroll uh, for the Michigan coaching uh, branch, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, over the past 24 hours. So Stephen and Harry, they're going to do their thing. They're going to complain probably for 45 minutes. I, Harry will complain. Stephen, it's good to hear your voice, the rising star. Yeah, you're too big for our pond. But you're back you, you, to visit the hometown. Harry is just Harry. We're, no reason to hype Harry up, but he's here too. All right, boys, take it away. We'll get out of here. Harry with the tab. <laughs> Harry. one, Dave. I was uh, I was really hoping Dave wouldn't mention that he was leaving, and we could just go the rest of the pod and see if anyone picked up on it. <laughs> but okay, Steve, let's get uh, let's get right down to it. We have some pretty pretty big news, uh, right? Harbaugh extended four years. Yes. I was wrong. Yeah, you were adamant so about you were adamant about the. Uh, the occurrences of what didn't happen. Yeah, but I was close. You were close. I don't know. It's not one of those things you can be close on, but I'm just going to (laughs) go ahead and say I was close and chalk it up as a close, hard-fought L and wiggle my way out of it a bit. Do do you want to expose yourself on what your theory was? Well, yeah, I, I thought he was uh I thought he was leaving and my rationale was someone told me back in uh uh November that he was um really, really looking at the Jets job. Uh and then once the first extension kind of came and went, it he didn't really seem like a coach that was like here to stay. And it really always felt like the the end of the the 2014 Niners uh, saga, mm-hmm. so it wasn't really. I didn't have anyone like saying in my ear like, "Oh man, like he's gone, he's gone, he's gone," yeah. like the entire time. But it was. I knew he was interested in leaving. I put two and two together and thought there was some exit strategy there. I was wrong. It turns out. It was actual negotiations, whether it was Harbaugh looking for a uh, an NFL team to jump to, or maybe that interest wasn't really there, and Ward was trying to hammer the price down. Uh, that's very well possible. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the gist of it. His uh, his new salary now is is basically chopped in half. Went from um, over seven million to four million dollars with uh, uh, quite a few incentives baked in. Uh, Steve, what were your first thoughts? So, I don't hate it. I don't hate it because in all the videos, everything I've analyzed about it, it's like a, it's whether you think 2020 was an anomaly or not. And that's like the first thing to consider. If you think it's an anomaly or an exposure of a program's deficiencies, that's up to you. Um, In my opinion, it doesn't matter what I think because I think it's clear the university at least partially sees it as an anomaly. I don't think that anything that could have happened in 2020 would have resulted in Harbaugh's firing. 
And I think it more exposes the lack of action that should have happened after like the 2016 season, even after like the 2018 season. Mm -hmm. I think there's reason to believe that an extension would have been appropriate at those times. I think it's just a purgatory state of every offseason since 2016 uh, has been negative and Harbaugh didn't want to negotiate terms that were worse for himself that had to have been with all of those off seasons. So I think it was more inevitable. I just think it's, I wouldn't have been surprised if he left for the NFL, but I feel like it had to have been something that would have leaked earlier where like, if we don't hear him in interviews, like he wasn't appearing on teams lists. It was just odd to me that there wasn't more substance to the like, He's for sure looking for an NFL job. Um, Yeah. And, but to me, it's like with the lower buyout, the university um, wasn't going to make a move to, to fire Jim Harbaugh, regardless of how 2020 went. And they're setting themselves up in a way to depart depending on probably like the next two years. I mean, if 2021 is a continuation of 2020, he's gone 100%. Um, I think it's like if he goes like eight and four or nine and three, then I think eight and four he's gone. That's close to me, though. It depends. It depends. Buyout's low. It, the buyout is buyout's low. Buyout's low. And if he goes eight and four and you're staring down the barrel of 0 and seven against Ohio, oh, well, it already is 0 and six, right? 0 and five because it didn't play this year. Okay, so he'd be 0-6 yeah. uh, against Ohio State. He'd have, like, like I agree with you that they, they weren't going to fire him. Uh, that's why I like the extension at a much reduced salary and yeah. a much reduced buyout. Uh, because I, I don't think you um, fire a guy who's done so much for your program after – um, one bad year. On the other hand, with the way that things have been trending in the program, I also, in my opinion, thought it would have been a disastrous idea just to extend like the extenuating contract for the sake of extending it. Right? Like we don't have to give like the coaches all the leverage. Like, sure, it could nuke recruiting, absolutely. But it's what nukes recruiting even more is your program falling two to three steps because um, you have like a guy you can't get rid of for a few years or like it just keeps going downhill and it takes five, six years to get it out of the gutter. At least now they're, they're giving themselves the leeway where, you know what, if if last year wasn't an anomaly, they can get out of it pretty easily i I wouldn't even say it's really so much a a wins number but uh more so a performance uh eye test kind of thing because michigan hasn't really been like that impressive since 2016 uh the defense has been pretty awesome there's that run in 2018 but they really weren't firing on all cylinders it was a lot of the defense making big plays getting turnovers and the offense being able to punch it in but there really was no continuity in off uh, all the phases, and that kind of exposed itself against Ohio State when the defense couldn't get a stop and the offense couldn't keep them off the field. Yeah, the thing I'm like 
most upset about is I don't see anyone being a improve an improvement over Don Brown, and we can cover him the replacement in a bit. But for Harbaugh, his future at Michigan is dependent on the offense. With without a marked improvement on the offensive side, you're not going to survive because Don Brown every year outside of 2020 was a top 10 top five a few years like at worst you could call him a top 15 defensive unit that like Michigan was a top 15 defensive unit with multiple that were closer to top five um and more in the top 10 than outside of it Um, that's that's fair but at the same time I think there's also a pretty easy argument that over the last like three, four years, Michigan was easily a top 10, top 15 defense in terms of uh, blue chip talent and NFL talent. So it's, it was that really like a, a thing of the the defense or was it more so they had an incredibly high level of talent in which most people probably could have coached them to a semi-respectable ranking? That's true. Yeah. And, and you have to give credit to the coaches for the schemes. You also have to give coaches credit for the, for the uh, talent that they do bring in. And even with that in mind, I still think it was his time to go because of some deficiencies. There were just clear lack of depth deficiencies um, at like linebacker position, especially in 2020, Uh, obviously defensive line, both 2019 and 2020. Those are things that just uh, really put a cap on the ceiling Mm -hmm. of those two teams, like just right away outside of any other performance. And that's inexcusable for defensive coordinator. So I think Twitter is a spot where nuance just burns immediately. So you can't really like have that. You you can't have that sort of discussion there without someone jumping on a single aspect of that. But Mm -hmm. like, Don Brown, you can admit that he was like a top 10 guy who had some really, really bad tendencies and deficiencies in his coaching style and recruiting that made it his time to go. But yeah. I still think he's a scapegoat for a oh, lot of things. He's, he's absolutely a scapegoat. Like there's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. But I, I agree with what you said. And I think I would remind uh, most people to remember that the coaching isn't exactly black and white. There's a lot of gray area. So with Don Brown, it can absolutely be possible that his first two years at his school, when everything's fresh and unique and the opponents don't really have as much uh, film or experience in attacking it, you can have a lot more success as opposed to maybe years three, four, five, six, when people start to know the little wrinkles you're going to throw at them. They kind of know how to respond. Um it, all, all those things can be true where he can be the uh, the right guy for the job in 2016, 2017, 2018. And, and all of a sudden he can be the, the wrong guy for the job here in 2020, 2021. So yeah. um, it, it can sometimes go a lot further than it was Don Brown a good coach or was he not a good coach? Because I mean, the answer would be he was a good coach when Michigan was a good team. And when Michigan was struggling, he, he wasn't a great coach. And uh, sometimes you have to look a little further than, hey, is it like this one guy or is there like a deeper rooted issue? Sure. And and I think he'll do really well in the Pac-12. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does with new coaches, with a different 
conference, I think he'll perform really well. And I already foresee people being like, oh, like <laughs> kind of like we got rid of him or whatever. But it's yeah. exactly what you said. We're being in the same same program, same conference. Uh, opposing coaches have gone against you a couple of years. They can pick up on your tendencies and your ability to adjust to those is a big part of what defines you year over year. And yeah, I think it's, it's like you said, multiple things can be true and it's a gray area. Um, so yeah. What else about the extension that I read? Yeah. It's, a, it's only like a $4 million buyout. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, I think it just depends on the offense. Like I think, regardless of who Michigan brings in, I think they have the sort of personnel that can bring them to around like a 15 to 20, like a top 25 defense. I think they can do that just with the talent on the roster easily mm-hmm. um, with the right, you know, hires for assistance and, um, and whatnot. But like the offense just hasn't been I think up to the par. offense is actually going to be fine next year. I, I don't disagree with you. I'm, I'm just saying that like there's, it's gonna it's going to like shift focus where it was like the defense is unacceptable and the defense was bad last year. But like the the there there will be excuses for I think defensive lapses just because you have just like early with Gaddis, where it's just like you're early on, you're adjusting your personnel to fit your scheme, whatever. And I think you're gonna see like a complete 180, especially with like Quarterback situation is going to be a little shaky early on, or like who knows if McNamara or JJ McCarthy will come in and take that over. So I think it'll just be interesting to see the shift with like a completely new defensive staff with like now the offensive staff has to like, they have to turn on, they have to be like a top 15 unit. If Michigan wants to be better than nine and three next year. I agree. And Last year, Michigan was really hampered a ton by just how bad their offensive line was. Yeah, um, it, it reverted back to pre-Warner days, um, and so it was an abject failure. Um, I think it's going to be a lot better. Um, they're losing uh, Jalen Mayfield to the draft, but if you go back and rewatch. In my opinion, it kind of seemed like he was never all in, like after he opted out, then opted back in. It just seemed like it was one of those things that, all things considered, once a guy decides to leave, probably should leave that door closed because I don't think it's ever, you can ever really rebuy 100%. Yeah, that's probably fair. I I think he was, once he kind of got a sniff of those NFL dollars, I think he was playing a little more tentatively, a little, uh, little more worried about staying healthy and you know what like i it's hard to blame a kid i've never been in that situation so i'm not trying to say that's some failure on on his part um but i do think that getting fresh guys in there and and guys that are a little less established and have a little bit more um of their careers ahead of them could pay a lot of dividends yeah and i don't even know if it's like a conscious thing like if you know that you have your draft grade of being like a first rounder and as like an offensive tackle, that's a pretty safe, it's not like edge rusher, but it's like, he's going to be a first or second rounder. Probably just having that in the back of your mind, it's hard to like push yourself to a next level when you feel like you already have that grade. And that's not even like a conscious thing where it's like, I don't have to work hard. I just think it's like a lack of like hungriness to get to that next level, the lack of like that sort of thing to still attain at the collegiate level. Um, I think it, like I said, it's not even like a conscious effort. It's just a, you're just at a different uh, level than most other 
athlete or like collegiate athletes who are still trying to prove themselves to that point that he's already at. So I think, I think that's a good point. And I mean, with all the injuries that Michigan had, I mean, I think they completely turned over their starting five. Like they had either injuries or um, just guys replaced at each of like every single position on the offensive line. So it's hard to like, especially when you have limited hours in terms of like practice hours and contact as well with a unit that's still trying to gel. I mean, Warner himself said that it was like the most challenging year of his coaching career and I believe it. So it's just, I think things can snowball a bit. And I think that unit, especially with kind of, you're trying to ramp up two different quarterbacks as well. um, There's a lot of pressure there and it just never found its footing. So it's um it's kind of interesting when you go back and you look at it's pretty easy to tell which coaches are good just based off of uh which positions you could tell played hard the longest yeah and looking at it it's like okay we got wide receivers and then we we got offensive line now they played hard but you know what a lot of things didn't click and then after that it's linebackers right yeah there there's a lot of blame to share there is i i do think that there are factors that made uh last year a bit of an anomaly where kind of the the second tier powers for lack of a better term teams right now in college football like your auburns your penn states your michigan uh your texases uh, they, I think they got really hampered by, by how this season was set up in that because it, it sort of didn't really matter as much. You, you didn't have the guys that were really worried about winning a championship because that was kind of perceived to only be for like those select few teams. And you don't have the guys that with the quote unquote senior leadership who only have a handful of games left because everyone can come back and right. it sort of throws a lot of things in flux. And I think that it really hurt the teams that put a big emphasis on recruiting and getting guys in the NFL, as opposed to building that culture or having just an insanely elite uh, amount of talent. Like yeah. I, I th- that was a trend that was pretty, um, that was shared by a lot of schools. Whereas yeah. I think maybe your third or fourth tier teams really that had to focus more on the, the culture and the buy-in, like your Indiana's, your Northwestern's, your Iowa States, they had more successful years because winning any big 10 game is a big deal. Yeah. And I think it's like, be at, like right after the Michigan state loss, um, and like after, a, like as soon as you get that second loss, mm-hmm. it's like okay, literally, what are we playing for at this it, point? Snowballs like, quick. That's it. Yeah. So like, usually, I feel like teams like you can get pressured into like playing a little bit above your um, maybe like like what matters, right? So, but like in a COVID year where like there's no fans, no one's there, um, you already have two losses some of your leadership is already injured or has opted out. And it's just like, what am I even here for? Like, we're not even gonna be able to play for a a big 10 championship. Um, My family's not allowed in the state, like, or like, you know, just like there's very little motivation. I would feel like, like, what's the pressure? Like, what is this? Like, what's like, what's this mean? And I'm not saying that it like doesn't matter. I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of a player where it's just like, 
it's got to be really discouraging to be like, well, we're not going to contend for a big 10 championship. And then like bowl games probably aren't going to happen. And it's just like, all right, I'm playing for like pride and no one's here like cheering me on or it's like an empty stadium. So it's just, like you said, it snowballs and it's kind of interesting. I don't want to like talk about the basketball team too much, but in empty stadiums, it's almost like what is kind of driving a program. And I don't really like to focus too much on like how excited a bench is or like how enthusiastic the, you know, that benches a ton. I, I mean, it, it matters. a ton. Yeah. There. Yeah. It, it matters a ton. It matters less when you have fans in the stands. It matters a lot less in my opinion, when you have those sorts of atmospheres, you can get up from the opposing fans, like, you know, talking crap to you and things like that. When it's not there, then it just, it puts the focus strictly on your team's ability to get your enthusiasm levels up. So you're combating the already, like all the other things I said. So then you turn towards your teammates. If you don't have that just kind of internal motivator there and that internal energy then where's it coming from? And that's like just really hard to, to do. So that's why I think you see like the Iowa States and uh, like even coastal Carolina, those guys are going crazy. Yeah. Where it's like those guys are getting up for themselves and just like for the reason to get up. Like that's, that's literally all they have. A ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So like when you're not having fun and you're not a program that really has leaned on that in the past, which, um, I don't think Michigan is a program that really has under Harbaugh, then it's like, then it's like a really bad situation when you start losing. And I think that's, that's exactly what we saw. So, yeah, I mean, it's not encouraging for the future, but like, I think it gets better in a non COVID situation from like that standpoint. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Tell me, all right, give me your thoughts about the defensive coordinator. Um, Mike McDonald, this guy, I, I had never heard his name before in my Huge life. Huge fan. Huge fan. Big fan. All right, talk to me about him. He's, um, he, he's got a great track record, very encouraging. Um, and he comes from the, the Baltimore Ravens system, which is pretty known for – shit, what's popping up on my screen? Um uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, whoopsie daisies. Okay. Uh, what was I saying? Mike McDonald, um, comes from Baltimore. They're always pumping out great defensive coordinators, great defensive minded head coaches. Uh, Greg Madison, we borrowed him from Baltimore. Um, so yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of experience. Uh, he, he actually has no experience coordinating a defense. Um, Shoot, I'm trying to pull up. I just wrote something on this. I'm try- yeah, I have all my stats there. So you give me your quick thing while I uh, pull it up. Yeah, so he's a guy I was I, – I, I had some tweets out about him where it's like this guy is uh, like a true scheme guy because mm-hmm. you don't – in my opinion, you don't become like an NFL position coach that quickly – with mm-hmm. like just just a GA spot on a college yeah. program without being like a true like savant in terms of like your overall scheme That's... and your ability to coach guys in a scheme efficiently. So that's encouraging for him to get there that quickly. I uh, yeah, I 
made note in, I'm glad you brought up, um, because uh, just being able to go from, you go to the University of Georgia, not to play football, but just to go to school, yeah. you're 18 years old, right? You played high school football, but then you go to the University of Georgia, yep. and when you're 19, 20 years old, you decide you want to be a football coach, and then in 13, 14 years to be able to go from deciding that to being the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan, an NFL defensive coordinator candidate, just sometimes I think you look around and you're like, wow, like this guy is going to be great. And I think that sometimes teams get caught up too much and who's the best guy to build this program with, or then who's the best guy for this job? Sure. I I think – McDonald is probably the best guy for this job. The the reason I think a lot of college teams wouldn't even think about hiring him as a defensive coordinator is because one successful year, maybe two, and there's a good chance he's gone. There's a lot of college teams he flat out wouldn't come for. Sure. A lot of them can't outpay an NFL position coach. And he was a position coach in the secondary, his position coach uh, with the linebackers. Um, a lot of defensive coordinators spoke very highly of him. Uh, Leslie Frazier, Wink Martindale, Dean Pease. Um, he was uh, responsible for helping develop uh, C.J. Mosley. Eric Weddle speaks very highly of him. So and I, I was reading that he, he was talking about how he considers himself really a really big guy on relationships. And one of the things that I'm kind of thinking with guys in that mold and and why I think even though they haven't had the track record recruiting, it's a lot harder to to bullshit NFL vets, right? Like guys have been around the block. Like you you can't bullshit them. Like they know what's up. Guys like Greg Schiano flame out quickly. Chip Kelly flame out quickly because gimmicks, they can work in college, but in the NFL, you need to, know what you're doing. You need to be able to communicate it. Yeah. Right. And so if you can communicate, I think that's a a skill that you can translate pretty easily to college. Yeah. If high school coaches and parents of prospects and prospects know that, that you're not uh, BSing them and you have their best interest at heart, uh, I think it'll lend itself to being a really good recruiter. So um, I I gave it an A minus. Um, He's someone that, and, and I mentioned in my piece, I gave you a shout out because in your um, live video or whatever we call it, the, yeah, the live stream, yeah, mentioned that he'd probably go for someone um, familiarity rather than worry about the stats. And yeah. what gets more familiar than um, someone who has a really high letter of recommendation from his brother? Right. Uh, I, I don't see, and this isn't, I think that. Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines deserve the benefit of the doubt. Like I specifically think that the Baltimore Ravens organization on the defensive side of the ball and their track record and developing coaching talent, I think that deserves the the faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, I mean, he was a guy who I don't think he was like a primary recruiter on anybody at Georgia. I, I haven't looked at his, 24 seven profile for that, but like they wanted him to be recruiting. He was like a, an up and comer who like could connect with guys really well. So it's not like he's 
you know, ha hasn't been around that. So he's been, you know, at the University of Georgia for like six years or so. Like he's, you know, clearly been in a program that knows how to recruit and what that looks like. Um, so he has that. And then I think people are discounting like being able to be like a younger guy who just came from the NFL and knows what these NFL guys look like. Being able to say like, hey, I worked with these guys. You have the potential to be this exact guy I coached or like, you know, you were a key part of that defense and NFL defense coming straight from that, even though sure he's a few years removed from the college game, having that direct experience will help him connect at a different level than um, that will give him just an advantage inherently because of where he's coming from. And then um, I think I would like him to be paired up with someone. I think I had a tweet where I'd like to get him as like a co-defensive coordinator with a defensive line guy who's a little bit more experienced. And then I'm glad he brought up the live stream. Someone tweeted at me. He's like, didn't you mention that uh, co-defensive coordinator, defensive line coach at, uh, at Toledo? And I was like, that's exactly who I want. Coach Cool. Who, Coach uh, Cool, baby. Yeah. His, his handle is let's meet at the QB. And I love it. Um, I don't actually think he'd be uh, like an actual option because I think he, what, he played at Toledo. Right? I, I, I think he would be an option. I think he'd come if they wanted to hire him. Because from what I've heard, um, his end goal is I think he wants to end his career as Toledo's head coach. Okay. So I think that being the defensive line coach, maybe co-defensive coordinator at Michigan, mm -hmm. would lend itself better to him getting the Toledo job than just promote from within defensive mm -hmm. line co-defensive coordinator. Uh, there are a lot of great defensive line coaches out there. Uh, he's just my favorite and I think the best. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of guys they can get, but I think they need to get someone because the yeah. defense line last year was undisciplined. It was sloppy. There is clearly a lot of talent, but for some reason, you just just didn't work. Yeah. If it doesn't work, someone's got to go. Right. Yep. I'm with you. And, yeah, so <laughs> Coach Cool, Craig – Kuligowski, love that name, Polich. Uh, he's like the exact model of someone I want. Like someone who's extremely uh, experienced there, can just help give pointers, um, just bring, you know, a, a position group, a ton of experience, while also helping out as just like running a defense overall. So it, it might not, you know, I don't have any insider knowledge on him, but find me a clone of him somewhere. And that's the kind of guy I would like to bring in because I think, I mean, I've seen like coach banks of Penn state was also another guy, regional guy who would be more of a defensive backs, uh, co-defensive coordinator. But I think having a co-defensive coordinator that is also a defensive lineman helps a lot as, as well. And I would prefer that. And then I've also seen things where it's like, uh, Zordich's uh, contract is running out. It's unsure if he's coming back. So I don't know. There's lots of moving parts there, but uh, I think we're in agreement that a co-defensive coordinator would allow the best parts of McDonald to shine through and alleviate some of that pressure. Um, 
But I mean, looking back at like my initial statement where it's like a retread would be the preference or like the likely direction that Harbaugh would go. It makes sense that like it, it's hard to get like a really experienced guy as your defensive coordinator when the situation is so yeah. fluid for Harbaugh. So it makes sense getting a guy who's like, sure, you're taking like a little bit of a chance on, but like having one year as a co-defensive coordinator, that's going to elevate Mike McDonald's career a, a ton. And he's going to take that chance, even if it's, you know, a single year, he's going to be elsewhere, either back in the NFL or who knows if Harbaugh goes to the NFL, I wonder who he'll try to bring with him, right? Yeah. If, if he yeah. does that. So it's a win-win for Mike McDonald and um, he should be receptive to, a more experienced guy if Michigan goes that route for a co-defensive coordinator uh, sort of situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's okay. I, I thought he – I think it's um, an ambitious hire. Yeah. It, it reminds me similarly of uh, Joe Brady, Jeff Halfley, um, Brian Dable, guys mm-hmm. that were NFL position coaches – became coordinators at Blue Bloods to varying degrees of success and uh, are now uh, two NFL offensive coordinators and a um, college head coach. Yeah. And we're probably looking at Dable getting a head coaching job followed by uh, Brady as well in the near future. So, um, yeah, the ambitious guys – I mean, Will Muschamp was never going to join this staff. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think so. <laughs> anyone that thought that, it's a great idea in theory. But if you don't want your program to blow up, the guys on your staff have to like each other to some varying degree. Yeah. And I don't see Muschamp getting along with very many people. He doesn't get along with very many people. Where he's someone that I think has to either be a head coach or – in a program so successful that there's no like ambiguity of who the big swing and dick is. Right. And there's really only three or four of those programs yep. right now. So uh, I didn't think it would be uh must champ Derek Mason. I thought there was a strong chance, uh, but I don't know why he would tie uh, his stock as a coach going into the second phase of his career into a, a program with as much, uh, pressure and uh, as little job security i think that's why he hops on board at auburn brian harson it's his first year mason's gonna have at least two possibly even three years to audition for another head coaching job and and that's really the end game you can usually survive getting fired once uh getting fired twice in two years that's a tough look for a lot of guys yeah yeah i don't think that's a great point i don't think enough people look at like what does a firing mean for me and it, it matters a ton of what that coach is just coming out of. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, even the Charlie Strong uh, like rumors that came across, I thought like, man, that'd be I'd be it'd be kind of risky if I were Charlie Strong like joining Michigan staff after like he's building himself back up, right? Like he he kind of flamed out, and then he's like an assistant. What I think at Bama, he's just a like defensive analyst or something, like an assistant somewhere. So like him he's really building himself back up. Is he really going to take this like one year shot at Michigan where it could work out? But um, that's another thing where it's like, same with like Chris Ash, um, where it's just like, man, I don't know if he's willing to like take that shot for a one year at Michigan where like, 
I, I did. Zach I get, flamed out bad at Texas. Yeah. Yeah. That was, exactly. That that's kind of what got my head spinning about it, and it's you got to be really careful about because Chris Ash all of a sudden now it's like okay, congrats, you're graded Ohio State with 20 first-round picks, and right. you sucked at Rutgers and sucked at Texas. Right. And we aren't even Texas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's, I don't know who this defensive, like, the other, I don't even know if Banks would take the job, honestly, because, sure, it's closer, it's closer to home because, you know, he's a Detroit guy, so it makes that those Detroit recruits to win that much easier just being directly in the region that you primarily focus on but like it's still like kind of a uh i would put it probably as a less secure job just again with the volatility at michigan and it's at a team that's like in a pretty similar position um as penn state just in terms of like performance in the past couple of years so it's like i don't even know if banks would be a guy who unless he wants to move back to Michigan um, would, would really want uh, um, uh, another co-defensive coordinator role. So, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I hope they can get a guy who's again, just like more experienced and maybe is at a spot where he's very secure in like his job security and not one of those guys that we brought up that like, only have like one or two more shots before they're going down to the like yeah you know, dregs of college football. Yeah, you mentioned if it wouldn't make a lot of sense for banks to come. Well, I know how it would make a lot of sense. You increase the dollars and the well, that's true. Dollars and the cents. Yeah. See what I did there, Steve? I see that. <laughs> that, but, was, uh, that was good. Throw yeah, the bank. Any, any at him. problem can usually be fixed by throwing more money at it. And Michigan has about $4 million extra dollars of payroll open up. So um, if, if it is going down to the assistants and, and that's what they're committing to, then I think that it's a very, very, very easy sell as to why Harbaugh should, should get a second crack at this. I just think the one thing that can't happen is extending him and him just saying, yeah, we're just going to run it back. There's got to be right. some form of like – it's not working. I trust that you're the guy to fix it, but you got to sell me some proof of concept on how we're fixing it. Other than just, we're going to work harder. Right. Like we're like, we're going to work harder. Isn't good enough. Like you've lost that much rope, but you got enough rope that I'm willing to give you one last shot. And Mike McDonald is a guy that I don't think Jim Harbaugh would hire as this last shot if he didn't have a really good feel for him. And the guys he's had a really good feel for have worked out. Like Don Brown worked out big time for the first couple of years. Like that's a fact. It didn't yep. work out in year four or five. But if McDonald gets to a year four or five at Michigan, who cares? Because it means he did really good the first few years. Right. So it's, um, so it's late and I'm rambling a bit, but like the point is if, if Jim Harbaugh is willing to bite the bullet and say like, Hey, like they're going to be all over me. Cause you don't have like the defensive coordinator experience, but I believe in you that much that matters. Yeah. Right. So he's always been a good judge of coaching talent. 
I, I think he's someone that probably needs a little more coaching turnover than he gets sometimes. So, you know, I, I'm willing to give McDonald the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I think it's interesting you bring that up because it's like, I think there's a case for like Don Brown to have been let go in 2019 or Drebno or like let go a little bit earlier. Um, and it kind of is reminiscent to me of uh, I'm not critical of Ward Manuel because I think he did good on other jobs, but there's a big difference between someone's ability to hire really good talent and knowing when to depart on talent that's no longer beneficial to your team. And it's kind of like, and I say that for Harbaugh with like the Don Brown situation, like Drebno, he made upgrades with those with at least the Warner hire, right? That's a great hire. And the offensive line could be debatably one of the better positions um, as a part of that. Um, but Ward Manuel is kind of the same thing. He made really good hires in Mel Pearson and, um, and John Howard, but how does he deal with, you know, a contract situation coming to the end? How does he deal with uh, renewing those sorts of renegotiations? And it's kind of like the same thing where it's like, man, eh, maybe they're not, the best at that aspect of their job, but I'm with you that Harbaugh is not going to put his job on the line, $4 million a year on the line for a guy he doesn't completely believe in. And um, he's, he's shown enough ability to with his hiring moves to make me more confident McDonald than if I'm just reading on paper that, uh, you know, a program signed this, this position coach from the NFL is a first time defensive coordinator outside of there, there's a very small select few people who make that hire where I'm like, you know what? I, I trust this. And that's both because of Harbaugh's previous experience with these hires and the current situation he's in and the weight behind that decision. So yeah, well, we'll see. You know what he's going to do to um, get, get a lot of heat off his back. What's he going to do? And I interest you in Michigan running backs coach Mike Hart. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I'd love to see that. That'd be great. Ron, Ron Bellamy had had a tweet out there, um, a weird one. Um, some people think that uh, Bellamy might be an option to join the coaching staff. It has yeah. to be a position coach because of the new uh, rule they put in. But then our good friend uh, Garrett at MGo Fish thought maybe it's Mike Hart. Could be. Could be. I. It would interest me quite a bit. I mean, he's done a great job over at Indiana. Getting him on board, man. He's the. That would he, that would quiet a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Mike Hart's what? Probably the second most popular Michigan football player of the last fifty years. Second or third, I would say. Second or third, I have I have Woodson one. Woodson one. I have, Des, I have Desmond Howard two, maybe. But Howard also came before my time. Yeah, that's true. So it's second in the last twenty five years. That feels pretty fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that that could silence a lot of it. I mean, yeah. at the very least, get some of the uh, pressure off your back, kind of. Maybe you throw Hart to the the boosters and stuff. Let him schmooze him up a bit. Take a little bit off the plate. Uh, I could see a lot of um, a lot of benefits there. Yeah, 
Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because they're the talk is Jay Harbaugh over to special teams, right? So so yeah, that'll be that'll be the main position to watch. And I I mean it's Michigan's just not going to have a QB coach anymore, right? Like Ben McDaniel's being out just means Harbaugh. Okay, that makes sense, and it's I think that's more than appropriate at this point. But uh, yeah, I think defensive line is. If I'm rating like the position coaches I'm watching the most from here on out, it's like co-defensive coordinator slash defensive line, defensive backs, and then running backs. And that's that's probably the order in which I'm most interested in. And probably the only ones that I would consider even really in question at this point. But, but yeah, we'll see. Okay, Harry, I need to go watch a hockey game. Michigan just beat Michigan State nine to nothing after record that. Yeah. So that'll be crazy. Also, watch Michigan wrestling. Are you a wrestling okay. fan? I don't think you're a wrestling fan. Are you a wrestling fan? Uh, not a wrestling fan, but I root for uh, like wrestling. I'll, I'll watch it. Michigan's ranked like number two in the nation this year. They're really? Gonna, yeah, they're gonna. Have, I was just like a different level this year, so it's not likely they're gonna like win a national championship. But they're gonna like they're gonna destroy some teams. So I, there's like there's three guys who are Olympic hopefuls. Um, on Michigan squad. So it's a really fun team this year. Heck yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Steve. We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, uh, we will. Steve Ossentoski at? At Steven Toski. At Steven Toski. I'm Harry Hillman at Harrison Quinn 90. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, David Arnold, a uh, hell of a guy. He's a great guy. I miss David. Hope you're listening to this, David, and and with all the love in the world, 